TCC Talks to a Beefeater. The Crown Chronicles spoke to Yeoman Warder Dave Phillips about his life and work at the Tower of London. So today I am talking to one of the infamous Beefeaters. Uh, this is Dave Phillips. He is a Yeoman Warder and he lives and works at the Tower of London. Hi Dave, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. and Lovely to speak to you. Fantastic to have you. Uh, it's a really fascinating job you've got, so I think people are going to be really interested to hear about what you do, uh, where you live, and all those bits and pieces that go along with it. Can you just tell me a bit about what you actually do? What does a yeoman warder do? We are part of the Sovereign's Bodyguard, and we're a detachment that when the kings and queens lived at the Tower of London, we had a detachment here of about 800 men who guarded the kings and queens as a private army, mm-hmm. and they actually went to war with the kings and queens. But of course, whenever they left to go to war, they always left a small detachment here to guard their home while they were already fighting. So we've been here ever since guarding um, Her Majesty's Royal Palace and Fortress, the Tower of London. We are one of the oldest bodies in the world. We have worked here continuously for about 900 years. But to be fair, we've only been yeoman warders since 1485. And now, of course, today, the role is very much tourist uh, related. Mm-hmm. Um, probably our public face is when we take people on guided tours and for about an hour we interpret the history of the Tower of London for our international visitors and those tours can be anything from 50 people to about 350 people gosh an hour wow so you've got to really capture their attention keep it there and also shepherd people by the sounds of it Yes, but to be fair, as we're all ex-sergeant majors from the uh, military, we're generally quite good at moving people around. <laughs> yeah, you seem to be quite fitted for, for the job there, I think. So what would a normal week look like for you as a yeoman warder? I'm, in my head, I have it that you have a couple of days a week where you usually do tours and then otherwise you're sort of patrolling. Would that be accurate? Uh, no, not quite. <laughs> I work a, a shift pattern where I do four days on work, one day off, mm-hmm. four days on, two days off. Obviously, being a major tourist attraction, we're pretty much open all year. Yeah. Um, and of course, our main role here is security of the Tower of London. Um, so when I'm not on guided tours, we have various duties where we are positioned around the Tower of London to keep an eye on things, uh, make sure people are not doing anything they shouldn't be doing, and obviously to deal with any incidents. But of course, tied in with that is answering all the historical questions, having our photographs taken, um, and basically just keeping an eye on things. How do you become a yeoman warder? What do you have to do to get Um, that snazzy job and that great uniform? Right. Well, before you can even apply for a position here, you have to serve a minimum of 22 years in any part of the British military and the armed forces. I personally served 26 years in the infantry. I was offered a job here at the Tower and resigned from the Army to come and work here. Mm-hmm. We have to hold the rank of Sergeant Major, which is a Warrant Officer Class 2 or Class 1. And we have to be in possession of the Long Service and Good Conduct Medal. Um, to be awarded that medal, I had to serve my first 18 years in the military without making one mistake. We refer to that medal as 18 years of undetected crime. <laughs> If you um, fulfil that criteria, that means you can apply for a position. Um, But bearing in mind, we only recruit one or maybe two people a year here. Quite exclusive, definitely. So what constitutes as a mistake? What would would mean that you would be sort of disbarred from applying to become a beef eater? You would have to have a regimental entry, which basically means you've um, done something so abhorrent 
that you've been put in front of your company commander and you've been punished with either a fine or time inside. Uh, for instance, that could be absent without leave, mm-hmm. fighting, drunkenness, um, anything along those, anything as, as, you know, not turning up late on parade or not having your boots polished. That's a minor misdemeanor in the military. And of course, we've all been down that road. <laughs> I can only imagine. Is there something that you wish everyone knew about your job? Um, I think I wish that every single person who walked through the front gates of the Tower of London realised my background. Um, it is amazing the amount of people who think I'm a costumed actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm employed here to look pretty and have my photograph taken. I'm employed here to um, do their bidding. And I think that's the main thing that I, I wish people really understood just how important our role is here uh, with security of the crown jewels and everything else in the tower room and of course all the people inside. Yeah. As I regularly inform people, I do not wear a costume, I wear a uniform. Mm. We have two uniforms. We've got what I'm currently wearing. This is known as the blue undress um, uniform, which is my everyday working uniform, loosely based on a Victorian police officer and a Tudor knight. So if you look at the um, tunic I'm wearing, it's straight out of what you would see Henry VIII wearing, that sort of design. Obviously, his will be far more elaborate. But the idea is that the tunic is split into four panels around the waist so I can ride a horse. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously get my legs across horse. I can get access to swords and daggers from my waistband. And the hat I wear, very similar to what you would wear as a Tudor, as a Tudor knight. The difference being, however, is my hat is very solid. It's a bit like a policeman's beat helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that obviously somebody can't bang me over the head and steal the crown jewel. <laughs> so the, the trousers and the hat are very much a Victorian police officer. The tunic is very much a Tudor knight. So it's that sort of mixture between security and ceremonial. So that's our blue undress uniform. And on special occasions, we wear what is known as state dress. That's the predominantly red and gold uniform, one that people associate with the beef eaters, mm-hmm. particularly those who drink beef eater gin. Um, because that's the uniform on the front of the bottle. Mm. And the state dress, we would wear, we only wear full state dress on royal occasion. So that was if Her Majesty the Queen were to visit the Tower of London. Um, or for instance, we have three church services a year, which are state occasions. And therefore, we would escort the Queen's representative here, constable of the Tower of London, to church. And we would then, as the Queen's representative here, we would dress in state dress to show that sort of prominence of his position. But the two uniforms can be mixed and matched depending on the occasion. Huh. So on something like Remembrance Day, I would then wear my Tudor bonnet. That's the one with the red, white, and blue ribbons around it. Mm-hmm. I would wear my medals rather than just my medal ribbons. And I would wear white gloves. So it's just taking it up a notch just to show a little bit more dignity mm-hmm. because of the occasion. Um, the next level of, of that would be what we refer to as reds, where I wear my state dress tunic with medals. Tudor bonnet, gloves, but these trousers, my blue undressed trousers. And of course, from there, we go to full state dress. So you can actually have four different types of uniform between those two, okay. depending on the occasion. Uh, and what trousers would you wear for full state dress? What do they look like? Are they red? Uh, we are, they're red, but they're knee length. Um, is probably the best way of exploring it, but they are breeches, yeah. And we wear tights. I have to say, the first time I had to wear tights was different. <laughs> a, a lesson for my wife 
because um, as she said to me, you do not put a pair of tights on like you put a pair of trousers on. No, <laughs> I can well, confirm I that. I know that, but I didn't at the time. So yes, we wear um, shoes, red tights, knee length, knee length breeches, and our state dress tunic. Can you tell me a bit more about where this name Beefeater comes from? Because it's, I guess it's kind of a term of endearment that people use for you guys. Um, but, but what does that mean? Where does it come from? The honest answer is nobody really knows. Um, there are several theories as to why we're called Beefeaters. But the honest answer is we don't know. It's a nickname that's been around about 300 years ago. And there are theories such as some people believe we used to be food tasters for the kings and queens. Mm -hmm. Some people believe we were allowed to dine off the king's table when he had finished eating. And some people believe we drink lots of gin. <laughs> of course, none of that can be proved. Indeed. So the honest answer is we really don't know. And quite honestly, if you look at a lot of websites about the Yeoman Waters or the Beefeaters, you'll see people saying, don't refer to the Beefeaters as Beefeaters. It's a very disparaging term. They don't like it, okay. um, which is quite wrong. We actually don't mind being called Beefeaters. Ah, okay, interesting. I personally thought it was a sort of more endearing, affectionate term. So um, yeah. I wasn't aware it could be considered, but if you guys like no, it, I'll, um, I'll stick with it. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of tourists here um, won't refer to us as Beefeaters because they've been told by other guides it's a disparaging term. We get quite offended by it. Ah. Um, 14 and a half years here, I've never, ever heard anyone being offended by being called a beef eater. Interesting. Hmm. Have to educate the uh, tour guides of London then. We do. So what is the difference then? Um, I'm sure most people don't know because the names are so similar. What is the difference between a yeoman warder and the yeoman of the guard? Ah, well, a yeoman of the guard, they are recruited under exactly the same rules as us, okay. either 22 years in the military, long service, good conduct medal, rank of sergeant major, but they all work out of St. James's Palace, and they are volunteers. So okay. unlike me, who is a full-time employee who's salaried, they work purely for the honour of the job. So you'll see the yeoman of the guard wearing their state dress uniform, and they predominantly work at things like state opening of parliament, Buckingham Palace garden parties, um, and Queen's receptions, the Royal Reception at Buckingham Palace. Whereas we could go and help them if they're short of manpower, they wouldn't come and do our job because we are in two different uniforms and we are salaried. But to add to the confusion, as yeoman warders, on appointment, we are sworn in as yeoman warders at the Tower of London. And some months later, we then go over to St. James's Palace and we're sworn in as members of the yeoman of the guard because we have to be to wear that state dress uniform. Ah, okay. So we're actually both. That's interesting. I wasn't aware of that at all. I knew there was a difference, yeah. but didn't know there yeah. was overlap. Yeah, there is. But they're only if you saw me stood next to a, a yeoman of the guard, you would notice one slight difference in our uniform. On a yeoman of the guard uniform, you'll see they wear a cross belt diagonally across their chest, mm -hmm. a bit like the old Sam Brown military um, belt. Whereas if, when I'm wearing my uniform, I don't have that cross belt. And it's all based on the weaponry that we used to carry. I carry an eight-foot-long spear called a partisan and a sword, whereas the owner of the guard used to carry an arquebus, which is like an old blunderbuss. And that strap was to support the weight of the arquebus when it was hung around their belt. Ah, okay. have to look out so for those details. There is a difference, yeah. Mm, interesting. See, I'm learning all these new things already, and I thought I was 
kind of savvy in this area. <laughs> it's a very popular misconception that we are yeoman of the guard. Um, and that's what I say we are. But we're also yeoman warders, whereas the yeoman of the guard are just yeoman of the guard. I say just, that's probably not quite fair. <laughs> you know, they've been through similar stuff to me to be there. But for you, it's the warder side of the job that is the most uh, prominent in what you do. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, 99% of my time, I am here at the Tower of London carrying out duties uh, within historic royal palaces. Now, I absolutely have to know, what is it like to live at the Tower? It's such a historic building. So much has happened there. It's seen so many uh, kings and queens come and go, so many wars. What on earth is that like? Um, it sounds very strange, but living here is quite normal. Okay. Albeit, when I go out shopping, I walk through a castle to get out to the gates to go to the shop. And I think every now and again, you forget just how special and how privileged it is to be working here and living here. And it's, I think, when I have friends or family come to stay, and as you're walking down the hill from the tube station, and suddenly for the first time they look at the Tower of London, and you get that sort of, wow, you really live in there refreshes your love for the place i mean when i walk into my house everything in the house belongs to me it's my furniture it's my pictures on the wall um it's my books on the bookshelf um everything belongs to me and having been in the military for so long and traveled all over the world with and without my worldly goods it really does feel like home but of course the difference is if i look out my window right now in my study i can see the back of the jewel house and the inner curtain wall and of course my house is in the North Bastion. So if you imagine the White Tower in the centre of the grounds, there's then a, an inner curtain wall around that, and then an outer curtain wall, then the moat. And my home was built as a defensive structure in the central north part of the wall. The, the tower has actually got about 100 people living inside it. So the vast majority of us live in that outer curtain wall. There's houses built into the wall. Um, so I overlook Tower Hill Underground Station. Um, whereas some of my colleagues overlook the city and overlook the east of London. And of course, there's no houses on the south because you've got the River Thames there. Uh, we also have some people living in the inner um, part of the tower. So the inner ward, there's a few blocks there and a few houses, but the vast majority is live in the outer walls, uh, which of course isn't open to the public. But during the normal opening hours, they can walk along the inner wall and look down at our homes in the outer wall. And our car parking spaces and our washing on the lines, things like that. That must be quite an unusual experience for people that don't realise that you guys are living in that sort of outer segment to see normality and modern life going on within, you know, a thousand year old structure. Yeah, it, it is amazing. I would say that all of us get asked on a regular basis, do we have communal kitchens? Um, <laughs> do we all go and dine together? Um, but of course, we've all got self-contained homes be that houses or apartments. Mm -hmm. During my breaks, I might be sitting outside my house in the summer with a cup of tea mm. and people can see me and photograph me um, sitting on a bench having a cup of tea. So life is pretty normal outside of work, mm. um, apart from I live in a 900-year-old castle. <laughs> so you guys probably are some of the most photographed people in the world. I bet your faces appear um, across the internet. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you do a search on anything, Google, type in bee feeders or yeoman warders, and there'll be absolutely hundreds of thousands of pictures of various members of our staff. Um, going back many years, of course. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, 
we did have somebody one day who was obviously very bored and counted how many photographs he had in a day. And he suggested that during one summer's day, he had 600 photographs taken. Wow. That must that be some just... quick mental arithmetic. <laughs> well, and also you've got to remember, that's the ones that he knows about. Mm. What you don't know about, of course, while you're standing talking to someone, there's somebody off to a flank taking a photograph of you that you'll never know happened. Mm. So 600 he knew about. Wow. So, yes, there's a, a lot of photographs taken. Amazing. Yeah, that's something I'd never really considered before, how, how much you guys are kind of focused upon. You are like the epitome of the tower and it's, it's a way of showing, you know, on Instagram or whatever that you've been. So, no, that's, yeah, absolutely. that's a really interesting idea. Mm. If you photograph a building, to be fair, that building could be anywhere in the world. If you photograph a beefeater in uniform, that person can only be at the Tower of London. Um, although we do end up in other parts of the world, but generally people will realise you're at the Tower of London if they see our uniform. A lot of people are obsessed with the sort of haunted nature of the Tower. Um, do you Have you or anyone that you know had any strange experiences that you can't really explain? Well, let me start off by saying I personally don't believe in ghosts. Yes. Um, I've lived here for almost 15 years. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a ghost. I've never heard a ghost or seen anything I can't explain. However, some of my colleagues do believe in ghosts and have seen various things that they find difficult to explain. Okay. Personally, I put it down to alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there, there, there are lots and lots of strange stories at the Tower of London. Mm. And I, I've personally seen photographs that have been taken by people that are really quite weird whether it's orbs, shadows, um, human figures inside display cases, um, things like that. So I have seen things, and I had a very interesting experience within a few years of being here where a young lady that was on my guided tour wrote me a letter. She'd got home, uploaded her photographs onto a computer, and inside one of the display cases was a figure, clearly of a Victorian soldier. And... In her letter, she explained that at no stage did she ever see this figure. And she knows that it can't be a reflection because there was nobody else in the room when she took the photograph. And there is no reason I can think of that why she would elaborate a story to impress me mm -hmm. because she doesn't know me and I don't know her. Um, but she sent me a lovely photograph and a lovely letter. And I, to this day, cannot explain that photograph. Hmm. That is, that is strange. Yeah. Because I, um, it was a couple of years ago now, maybe sort of 20, 2014, um, I actually attended the ceremony of the Keys. And it was, um, yeah. mid, I think it was August. So it was, you know, high summer, but it was, it was really dark. Um, and there was, for me at least, maybe it's because I'm unfamiliar with the tower at night, but there was definitely an atmosphere. Um, and it, and it amazes me that, you know, you guys walk around there at night because it's, you know, like you say, it's your home. You know, you might take the dog for a walk. Um, mm -hmm. So it just, it kind of baffles me that um, you don't feel that. But because I, I don't necessarily believe in, but maybe it was just because it was mm. such an ancient ceremony and it was, you know, well, a privilege to see. <laughs> yeah, it could be part of that. You're in a, a very unique place, a very unique occasion that's mm -hmm. happened every night for 700 years. And it does... Overall, people, I think, standing in this location at night when there's so few people uh, and you're in that privileged position to actually watch the ceremony of the keys. I mean, I always say to people, I personally don't believe in ghosts, but if they exist, they must exist here. 
some horrible things have happened at the Tower of London. Definitely. Going off from that that topic, um, what is the sort of grisliest story you sort of know about the Tower that would really interest people? There are so many. Um, I think probably we and we do explain this on most of our guided tours about James Scott, the Duke of Monmouth, mm -hmm. who it took five blows of the axe to remove his head. And there are a lot of people who believe that the executioner was probably drunk. Um, but to be fair, a lot of executions went badly wrong mm -hmm. because the axe was not a particularly well-made weapon and it wasn't particularly well um, suited to its role. Mm -hmm. And it very often went wrong. But that is a particularly grisly execution where it took five blows of the axe and eventually used a butcher's carving knife to finish the job. Oh, gosh. So, a grisly execution, but of course, lots and lots of other things. I mean, you know, executing a, a young lady of 17 years of age is gruesome mm -hmm. just based on that young lady's age, if nothing else. Uh, I'm talking about Lady Jane Grey. Um, it's always going to be pretty awful. I mean, the act of cutting somebody's head off is never going to be pleasant. No, brutal in its in its actual existence. So. Yeah, but even the, the most professional executioner is carrying out a horrific act by doing that. Mm. Of course, it was seen as a gentleman's way to die, a noble way to die, to have your head cut off, rather than a commoner like me would be hung. Mm. Doesn't make it any, uh, any nicer, though. No, absolutely not, particularly for the victim. What's your favourite story to tell about the Tower? What's the, the one thing that you love people to go away knowing about? I think it's actually quite nice talking to people about living here because it really does surprise a lot of people that there's over 100 people live inside this old dusty castle. Mm. Um, so I'm quite happy to talk about it all day, every day. Um, so that's quite interesting. But there's also that the connections with talking about Rudolf Hess. One of my probably most moving experiences at the Tower of London, um, I would say probably three years ago now, I'd finished a guided tour. And somebody asked me a question about Rudolf Hess. I've explained a little bit of the history of Rudolf Hess being at the Tower of London. And I expanded my story and told them that I'd spent two years in Berlin in the early 80s guarding Spandau Prison. Obviously, prisoner number seven, Rudolf Hess, was the only prisoner left there at the time. And having finished the story and finished my guided tour, we generally take photographs from people. Um, people come and ask, ask extra questions. And an elderly Jewish man came over grabbed hold of me, um, cuddled me, and thanked me for my help against the Nazis. Um, that little small part I played for a couple of years I was stationed in Berlin, and it was really quite emotional and quite moving. Mm. Uh, he met someone who had played a small part in the destruction of the Nazi party and was really quite moved by it. And I was very, very moved by it. Definitely. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And he, um, he was a, it turned out he was a survivor from um, Auschwitz. Gosh. Yeah. So as you can imagine, quite moving. Mm. No, I've, I've been to Auschwitz. Um, I studied German. And of course, a lot of studying that is studying the history. Um, and I kind of felt compelled to go and see it. And that is, yeah. that's one hell of a place to go. It is. I mean, I went to um, Belsen. As a young soldier, I think I was about 18 or 19, we were stationed in Berlin and we'd gone down to the training areas down there. 
Um, and of course, we had a day trip out to Belsen, and it was horrific. When I went to Auschwitz only about three years ago, um, that was so emotional, it was untrue. Um, and I think everybody, everybody should go and see that. It's not a place, you can't say it's a nice place to go because it's not, but everybody should go and see it. Yeah, I think it's one of those, it's not not a bucket list thing, it's something people should do, not that they should want to, but I think they need to witness something like that. Yes, absolutely. It's an amazing, very emotional, very disturbing place. Mm. The fact that people came up with this idea um, and I think probably the most moving thing for me, as you would know, when you went through um, Auschwitz one, the barracks, they were exactly the same barracks that I lived in in Berlin. The paint scheme, the layout of the buildings, exactly the same as the buildings I'd lived in. Um, so you imagine I was walking down a corridor thinking, oh, that used to be my bedroom. And that used to be the shower block. And that used to be the washrooms and the toilets. And I could actually walk down a corridor where prisoners have been held and remember the layout of buildings that I had lived in as a young soldier. Wow. Amazing. Mm. Gosh. Ooh. No, that must be really sort of unpleasant to see that parallel. It was. It, it, I think that just made it that much more poignant to me, um, walking around it, to see that, you know, it was a German military barracks of the types that I'd lived in. Yeah. Gosh. Anyway, moving back to um, lighter subjects. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we hear about, uh, correct me if the name, I'm getting it wrong, um, the bar, which is the, is it the, the Beef Eater, like, pub? No, it's, it's known as the Keys. The Keys. Um, yeah. So um, I've seen, it might have actually been your photos that you'd shared, um, but I've seen a few sort of interior photos, and you mm-hmm. mentioned that some people kind of assume you congregate round tables and eat communally. Um, yeah, is, is, that's kind of your local, isn't it? So, um, is it frequented by by people often? It, it's surprisingly not, um, because although we have a bar on site, when I live and work with a group of people, at the end of a long, busy week, if I want to go for a quiet beer somewhere, I probably don't want to sit and drink with the same people I've been working with and living with all week. So we tend to go to one of the nice little quiet, less touristy pubs around London. Mm-hmm. That said, we do use it quite a lot for social purposes. We have our um, annual dinners in here. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, we use the bar. We have a lot of family occasions. For instance, a little um, neighbour of ours should have been baptised on Sunday. Unfortunately, that couldn't take place. But we were going to have a little um, tea party for her in the Keys once the baptism had finished. Mm-hmm. And that's now been postponed, so we'll have that at a later date. Yeah, it's, it's frequented by the parish when we have um, get-togethers. We have meetings in there, which we will attend. And it can be used as a community centre, as well as being a public house, if mm-hmm. you like. Um, but predominantly in the evenings in our pub, um, we will invite guests from outside so it could be a yeoman warder would invite a regimental association, um, a group of friends, family, a golf club, a lodge, or something along those lines, mm-hmm. and take them on a little guided tour, take them for a drink in our bar. And probably the most important thing is on each of those nights, we raise money for charity. Mm-hmm. And that money goes into a charity fund, which we then distribute to charities um, around the world. It's a nice use of a pub. <laughs> yeah. 
and it's quite reasonably priced in there to be fair <laughs> always always good in uh, central london well it's because we're not paying the overheads that a pub would be paying because we all volunteer to work in there so of course we're not paying wages um so it makes the prices much cheaper we can keep the prices relatively low although bearing in mind we are still making a profit because we have to, mm. to run the pub um but yeah we raise a lot of money for charity in fact during the current covid crisis um we've had to miss out a meeting because we would generally have a meeting four times a year and discuss the business the running of the club for the next um year and how to distribute the money because we couldn't have a meeting we had a virtual meeting and distributed the money that we'd made for charity um via zoom i think we used mm-hmm. Um, we held a meeting, we all voted on where the money should go, and it was all distributed to various charities involved in fighting COVID. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. No, I yeah. wasn't, wasn't aware that there was any sort of charitable uh, work going on amongst you guys, so that's, that's really pleasant to hear. Yeah, we, we do a lot of charity, mm. and a lot for charity. So not only do you guard the crown jewels, you can also pull a mean pint. I have to be honest, I'm not very good <laughs> at pulling pints. I'm far better working this side of a pub and a bar and <laughs> drinking the beers. So that you've got one of the most fantastic chapels within the tower. Um, does that get used very much? It's, um, it is part of our parish. Of course, we have two chapels here. We've got the Chapel of St. Peter Ad Vincula, which is the main chapel in the grounds. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the P- Chapel of St. John inside the White Tower. And both of those chapels are used regularly by our parishioners We've probably got, I would like to say, about 20 people that live here regularly go to church, including my wife. Mm. Um, she really reads at the Sunday service in chapel. Um, we also have weddings. We have baptisms. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a regular chapel. It just happens to be inside the castle, but it's our parish chapel. And very unusually, I've never heard this term until I came to the Tower of London, um, we are what is known as royal peculiars. Mm-hmm. So I am a royal peculiar. <laughs> and that basically means that the chapel is part of the royal household's um, chapel system. Mm-hmm. So our chaplain, for instance, wears a red cassock um, as opposed to the normal black. And there's certain privileges that come with being a royal peculiar. For instance, I can go into the other royal peculiars free of charge. Uh-huh. So Westminster Abbey, St. Paul's Cathedral, etc. Hmm. Which is quite nice. But yeah, we, we have regular baptisms, weddings. Sadly, the occasional funeral hmm. or funeral service here, member of services, things like that. But it is, it's a regular church. And then to my final question, um, what does retirement look like? How does that work for a yeoman warder? Um, it's something I'm starting to plan for now um, because I am personally planning on um, retiring while I'm young enough to do what I want to do. Mm. There's a lot of the world I haven't seen yet and I want to get around and see some of that. So retirement varies person to person. But the plan is my wife and I are moving back down to Wales, where Mm -hmm. my wife is from, and we're going to, I wouldn't say have a peaceful retirement because I'm still young enough to volunteer, do various other bits and pieces. Um, But, yeah, when you retire, you go back to your own house um, and then you give up your house here and the next person taking up the role takes over your house. So retirement is, for me, a few years away yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm only 37, so still a few years away. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. 
will be quite a change of pace, I imagine, from the hustle and bustle of what is the tower to um, more relaxed, relaxed pace of life. It will be. And it's amazing the amount of friends and family who have said, you're not going to miss London. And the fact is, I won't. Um, not because I don't like London, but whilst we've been here for the last 14 years, we've really taken every opportunity to do pretty much everything we can in London. Mm -hmm. And we've been here long enough now that we're now doing things for a second and third time. Um, so when I do retire, you'll be looking forward to a nice, quiet life. Um, lots of visits to the theatre, lots of travel, lots of catching up with friends and family. And of course, probably most importantly, catching up with our grandchildren. Definitely. Um, so do you get to keep the uniform or is that um, passed on and sort of remodelled for the next, the next guard? No, it's not remodelled. But it is handed in. When you leave here, you hand a uniform in because, of course, it belongs to my employer, HRP, Historic Royal Palaces. Mm -hmm. um, and it can then be reused um, as need be. But, of course, what happens is when you arrive here, everybody is issued their own uniform because it's all tailor-made to the individual. Um, so, yes, it could be reused for various things. It could be used for displays, mm -hmm. things like that, um, or being clothing that's been fairly well used. Chances are a lot of it will be destroyed. Oh, that's a shame. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you today, Dave. That was really insightful. And I've personally learned a lot. And I thought I knew a good deal about the tower and the beef eaters. So thank you very much for your time today. Um, it was great. My absolute pleasure. I just to say it's been quite nice. Quite interesting. Yeah, I, I think Keeping so. Me on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> Not knowing what's coming next. I look forward to seeing your um, podcast or blog. <laughs>